Thanks for joining us on the Authentic Church Podcast. Let's jump right into this week's message. Okay, and we have two gifts left to talk about out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So let's go ahead and dive into that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, Paul stated it like this. He said, he, talking about the Holy Spirit, gives the one person the power to perform miracles. And we talked about that already, this supernatural ability from the Holy Spirit to perform miracles, miraculous things, okay? But he also gives someone else the ability to prophesy. So the ability to prophesy is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. So the last two gifts that we see out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is this, the gift of prophecy, which is super important for the church, to edify the church, to build up the church, to have a hope for the future. The gift of prophecy is so needed. But he also talks about this, a gift to have discernment over spirits whether it's a spirit of the enemy or the actual Holy Spirit from God. You need to know the difference, okay? Because that will change your life. Otherwise, you will always be deceived to the enemy's lies. You'll fall for his lies. You'll start following the ways of the world. So the Holy Spirit comes in and says, nah, that's not for me, okay? That's from another spirit. That is a demonic spirit that wants to take you down. Let me protect you and guide you in what to do. It is an amazing gift from the Holy Spirit. But with that being said, I got to say this, I have felt a very heavy burden for some time to preach prophetically about what is happening in the nation of Israel, Uh, to talk about the war that we see today. And I want to talk about the final war that is to come. And as I was preparing this message in first Corinthians chapter 12, I really felt from the Lord that it's time to speak. It's time to speak about what we're seeing. And does it also mean that we're about to see the return of Jesus Christ very soon? Okay, Um, because I do realize that we are living in devastating times. It is heartbreaking to see what's happening. It's heartbreaking to see so many innocent lives that are caught up in the war that are hiding or trying to find family members and the victims that have been killed, mocked and hurt throughout this process. Okay, and so I wanna ask the question is what we're seeing today, are these the birth pains? Are these the birth pains before our very eyes telling us that the time is coming very near for a few things to happen? First of all, the the rapture of the church. For us to meet Jesus in the air and be called up into the kingdom of heaven with him. And also the days of tribulation, the rise of the Antichrist, but Jesus Christ coming back here on earth to reign as king above all kings. What if we're seeing the birth pains today? What if we're starting to see things really come into fulfillment? And then I have another question for you, and it's this. Are you ready? Have you given your life over to the Lord? Are you living for him, or are you still mad over petty little things, little distractions, little arguments that you have with somebody because they said something against you, and you're holding on to these, and these things are consuming your mind, and so we we miss what's actually happening in the world. We miss the signs and the revelations that God is showing us. Maybe God is screaming right now, hey, my return is coming soon. All pain and anger and bitterness and and tears and hurt and sickness is about to be gone. Everything that I created for the very beginning is, is coming. Jesus Christ is coming very soon. That's good news. That should be the hope of every believer in this room and watching online today. Okay, so... To get into that, I need to quickly explain what the gift of prophecy actually is. So the definition of the gift of prophecy is this. 
The gift of prophecy is the supernatural ability to speak a message, a word, or a revelation from God. A supernatural ability by the Holy Spirit to speak a word or revelation from God over people. For Peter stated in Acts chapter 2, verse 16 and 18, and this is right after the Holy Spirit came upon all the disciples and, and people started to see miraculous things. We talked about this last week. Here's what he said to the people as he preached. He said, what you're seeing was predicted long ago, was prophesied long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, the Holy Spirit living inside of us as believers in Christ, even on my servants. It doesn't matter your position. Men and women alike, it doesn't matter your gender. God, by the Holy Spirit, will speak prophetically through you. They will all prophesy. Notice that Peter said it twice to get your attention, to confirm that it's true. This gift of prophecy is available for you today. But what does the gift of prophecy accomplish in our lives? Let me go over a few things for you. The first thing is this. The gift of prophecy will speak about warnings to prepare you for what's to come. The gift of prophecy will speak about the warnings, the things that are happening, the signs that we see around us to prepare you to do something in order uh, to see what's coming, okay? And we see an example of this even out of the New Testament. In Acts chapter 11, verse 27 and 28, it states, during this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit by the Holy Spirit, that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. So she didn't know this by her own smarts or, or knowledge. She knew this because of the Holy Spirit speaking through her prophetically. Hey, there was a famine coming upon the Roman world. You need to prepare right now. Wouldn't you love this gift? Don't we need this gift? from the Holy Spirit, to be able to speak about what is to come, these warnings that could happen in our life so that we can prepare. God wants you to prepare. You're never left in the dark. The Bible actually talks about that. You're never left in the dark. God will always reveal to his prophets. He reveals to us the signs of the times. Second though is, is this, the gift of prophecy is also a word of God about what is to come. So it's not always a warning, but it can be a revelation about the future personally, or even for the entire world. We know uh, by the gift of prophecy through the Holy Spirit, through the disciple John, that one day in the very end, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And this is something to actually get excited about that we will be with Jesus Christ as he reigns, but it will all be different from what we see today. Revelation chapter 21, verse one, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was already gone. Our sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Notice that everything revolves around Jerusalem because that's where we will be as believers in Christ. We will be worshiping Jesus in the new city of Jerusalem. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Isn't that amazing to look forward to? that this is what God has for us. But he spoke it prophetically through the disciple John. He wrote it down for us to always know and have this hope for the future. But the gift of prophecy also speaks to the individual. The gift of prophecy also speaks about your experiences and what you may be going through and sometimes even reveals things that are hard. See, Paul foreknew that God called him to preach in Rome, but he also knew that he would die in Rome. 
Think about that. And we talked about this before, that sometimes the Holy Spirit is going to lead you places you don't want to go, but it's to fulfill the, the will of the Father. And so Paul had this strength, and, and it's amazing to me. Paul didn't have strength to go to Rome on his own. He had this strength because of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will lead you into battles that you never thought you can go into and see victory on the other side. But 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, he said, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. He knew that it was coming because of the Holy Spirit. He said, but I fought the good fight. I finished the race and I have remained faithful. He is praising God, even though he knows he's about to die. He knows that he's getting to the end of his ministry. But thank you, Jesus, you gave me strength to do what I never could before. It's amazing. God will give you strength and, and we complain about our workplace. Right? We complain about our family, but Paul was facing real persecution. And so I need you to understand that God will give you strength to go to those places. You don't want to go and speak the good news to people, no matter what happens to you. But there is one major difference that we see between the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament prophets. The Old Testament prophets usually spoke concerning the nation of Israel. The Old Testament prophets usually had an authoritative position over the nation of Israel. So whether you like them or not, they spoke over the nation as a whole. And they would speak either good prophecies over the nation of Israel, or they would actually speak warnings at times too. If you do not repent, Israel, then things are going to happen. Captivity is going to come. God was always extending grace though. Throughout the Old Testament, every time a prophet spoke about judgment that would come, he also said, but if you just... Repent and run to me. You can be freed, okay? But in the New Testament, we see something a little bit different with the New Testament prophets or the gift of prophecy coming upon the disciples. They were speaking to edify and to build up the church a lot of times. They were speaking hope because they also knew that these new Christians were about to go through persecution. There would be trials before them. And so they're letting them know, hey, there's, there's hope in this. Let's build each other up and believe together. First Corinthians chapter 14 Verse three and four, but the one who prophesies, listen, strengthens others. The one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. We talked about that last week. But the one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church, building up the entire church every single time. Um, I ask people sometimes, what is your favorite thing about authentic church? And I have received this answer multiple times that before I preach, it's that time of prophecy. That time of just listening to the Lord, we're worshiping together and receive a word from the Lord. And I said it this morning as well, that a lot of times I, I don't know what I'm going to speak at that time, but I ask that the Lord would just prophesy through me to build you up. And every time I build you up, I also feel built up myself because I hear a word from the Lord and it's so good. And sometimes God will call you out in a good way. Hey, you're hurting, be healed. Hey, you're holding on to bitterness, let it go. Receive this healing and this amazing blessing for your life. But you have to listen to the word. You have to prophesy and the spirit of God starts to move. In fact, many times when I, when I speak before I actually speak the message, I'm like, well, that was better than the message I preached. You know, God is always showing up and showing out because he's a good God. He is a supernatural God, okay? 
but that's the gift of prophecy. So now this leads to the big question that I want to talk about today, which is this. Is the war in Israel today a sign of prophecy being fulfilled, telling us that Jesus is coming back soon? Who's ready to dive into this message? Come on. I hope all of you. Come on. It's not scary. I promise you. Okay. Uh, all right. So let's dive into it. The title of today's message, though, is this, Prophetic Times. Prophetic Times. And point number one is Prophecy in the Beginning. Prophecy in the beginning. To understand the prophetic times that we see today, we need to understand prophecy that happened in the beginning. And I have read this over and over again, and God brought my attention to this. But there's a prophecy spoken right at the book of Genesis in Genesis chapter 3. And it was spoken right after the fall of mankind, right after Adam and Eve sinned. And God is speaking over Adam and Eve, but he's also speaking to the serpent. Now, the serpent is the devil, okay? Here's what God spoke over him. Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly, you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I would put enmity enmity between you and the woman. Okay, the woman being Eve. Now underline the next verse, between your seed and her seed. There will be a battle between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Enmity means extreme hatred, including, listen, listen, a blood feud between the seeds, a blood feud between the offspring of the woman and the serpent. And so there's a lot of questions that rise up from this prophecy that God is speaking over them from the very beginning. First of all, who was the seed of the woman? Okay. If the woman is Eve, who was the seed that God is speaking over? God is speaking about Jesus Christ. Straight from the very beginning, he's speaking about his son. The father is speaking about his son. He's saying, my son will come and he will be a Messiah. He is the Messiah. He is the son of God. He will come to redeem and to restore from the very beginning because we know that Jesus Christ in Luke, I think chapter three, yeah, Luke chapter three, we see the genealogy of Jesus Christ. He comes from the lineage of Seth. Now, who is Seth? When Cain killed Abel, Adam and Eve had another son. His name was Seth. And from the lineage of Seth, because he lived in obedience to the Lord, comes Jesus Christ, the Messiah. I love this because from the very beginning, right after they messed up, right after they sinned, right after they failed, God could have said, you know what? You're just condemned, all of you, for disobeying me right from the very beginning. But instead he said, no, listen, my son is going to come because God already knew that it was going to happen. And he said, my son is going to come. This is the first prophetic promise of a coming redeemer and Messiah. Yeshua will come. But then there's another question. Then who is the seed of the serpent? And and theologians have different outlooks on this. Some theologians believe that this is the, the Canaanites, the descendants of Cain. Some even believe that this is in reference to the Nephilim in Genesis chapter six because of the fallen angels and what took place there. But I need you to understand, ultimately, this is not about the physical descendants of Satan, but those who actually follow Satan's vision of destruction. So what am I saying? This, the seed of Satan are those who worship demons. Those who follow demons. Those that look at the vision statement of Satan and they follow him and they worship him and they want to fulfill his purposes here on earth because they have been lied to and they have been deceived and they no longer see the truth that would set them free. And again, we know the truth. And, and sometimes it's very aggravating, isn't it? 
You hear them speak or you hear others speak about God and they have all these misconceptions and they say God is not good and he doesn't love us and all these things. And you just want to be like, you're blind. But you have to understand, okay, because sometimes we want to attack the person. You don't need to attack the person. It's a spiritual fight. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 tells us that it's a spiritual fight. There are demons in control of this person. There's oppression over this person. Remember when you were in oppression? The moment you met Jesus, he freed you from that oppression. He cast those demons out. He took you away from that addiction. That thing is still in their life too. And you can speak the name of Jesus and those demons have to run. There's authority in the name of Jesus. I love this. We fight a spiritual fight. Let me show you something else. Genesis chapter three, verse 15. Let's look at this again. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Meaning on the cross, Satan will bruise the heel of Jesus Christ. Okay, but this also tells us something very important. Sometimes God is going to allow the enemy to bruise you, but it doesn't mean he will finish you. You hear me? Sometimes the enemy is allowed to come into your life to bruise you a little bit, to hurt you a little bit, to bring a little bit of pain or a little bit of trials into your life, but God will not allow the enemy to finish you. The cross did not finish Jesus. Jesus finished his purpose. It fulfilled the will of the father. He rose from the dead. He said, all my people who believe in me will now be forgiven. He raised from the dead to find the serpent and crush his head. I'm not trying to rhyme a rap, but you know, it just comes out sometimes. But think about it. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what this prophecy is saying over Christ. He shall bruise your head. You'll be able to bruise his heel. So the moment that Jesus resurrected from the dead, he's like, where's that snake? Crush the head, bruise the head, take the head out. You no longer can do anything. You have no authority. You have no life, no power. Here's amazing news. Jesus then tells his disciples, I'm going to be at the right hand of the father. The Holy Spirit's going to live in my people. And guess what? The same authority will live inside of you. I love this. This is the words of Jesus. Okay. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Jesus said, look, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. And you can walk among the snakes, the serpents and scorpions, and you will be able to crush them. Stop running away from the enemy when you can crush him instead. Stop being afraid of what the enemy is taunting you with. He will yell at you. He will mock you. He will call you all kinds of names. (laughs) There we go. I like that. It made somebody laugh right there. He will call you all kinds of names but I know my name already. I don't know my purpose that was given to me by Jesus Christ and I know what he has for me. So the devil cannot take away my identity because my identity belongs to Jesus. And what I love about that, that means that Jesus is holding your identity and he's telling every demon, you better back off. This is my child. This is what I have for my child. You will not be able to touch my child who follows me. But God brought me to that that passage in Genesis chapter three, and I had this thought. Maybe it's a revelation just because I've never heard it preached before, but I couldn't help but notice that the seed was against the seed. And to me, it also points to a family feud, physically and spiritually. What family feud am I talking about? It's the same feud that we see today battling over the land. Who gets the rights to the land today, the land of Israel? Whose is it? Is it Palestine or is it Israel? And so I want to show you prophecy from the very beginning, and I want to give you a a little history lesson as well today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, God picks a man named Abram. 
And he tells Abram, I want you to leave your hometown, Ur of the Chaldeans. You know what I love about that? Ur of the Chaldeans was a pagan land, which means that Abram comes from a pagan family who worshiped idols. Chaldeans is associated with Babylon. So that's his background. God is calling him out of a pagan background, says, I will redeem you. I will restore you. And then transforms him into a Hebrew. And now the rest of his family lineage is completely changed. It does not matter where you came from. It does not matter what you came out of. It does not matter how much sin was in your life. It does not matter if you were controlled by addiction. It does not matter if nobody was there in your family who believed in God today. You give your life over to Christ. Everything starts to change. In the future, the sentence of your family change because you have decided to break generational curses. Isn't that cool? Like today, some of those things that you hated that hurt you so bad, you can say enough is enough. I'm giving it to the Lord. God has called me, he's redeemed me, and he's restored me. But God told Abram to move by faith into what would be a promised land, okay, but also uh, for his descendants as well, a destination for him and for his future descendants, even though he did not even have a child, okay? Let's look at it together. Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three. The Lord has said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. Here's what I love. God said, I will do all of it. All you have to do is follow and believe it. See, sometimes we receive a promise from God. We're like, all right, God, what do I have to do? And God's like, just obey. Yeah, but God, what what do I need to do? What things do I need to get in order right now? Who do I need to fight? Who do I need to take out? Like, just obey. I will hand it over to you. I will make you into a great nation, God said. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who try to treat you with contempt and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Why? Because through the genealogy of Abraham leads to Jesus Christ. It's amazing how it's all tied together, huh? We see this over and over again. Every bit of prophecy points to Jesus. Every prophecy, either it was his first return, which has already taken place, or his second turn, the second return that is to come, Okay. But I need you to understand, as you read this story about Abram, it required great faith. And some of you are like, yeah, it requires great faith. Like he's got to move and he doesn't know anybody. Listen, there's more to the story. He's 75 years old. You ever thought about that? What if you're, or maybe you're 75 today, or maybe you're thinking about in the future when you hit 75 and God says, listen, um, I got some promises from you or for you. You're going to have a child. Okay. I know you're 75. You're going to have a child. I want you to move from everybody that you know into a land that I have promised for you. Genesis 12, verse 4. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. And, and I feel like for me, sometimes I'd be like, God, I just want to stay here and be comfortable. Like, I'm at the age now where I just want to retire. I want to get fat and sassy. Like, this is my time. And you're telling me to go into the promise. Mm, please understand. With promises, there are battles. Please understand that. Every time God speaks a promise over your life and you start to step toward that promise, there is going to be a battle after a battle after a battle after a battle. And I've heard people say it before. Well, I feel like I'm following the Lord, but everything's just chaos. Yeah, you're in battles. Because the enemy doesn't want you to step into that promise now. But if he's given you a word, if he's given you confirmation, if he's given you dreams and visions, other people have spoken it, and it does not go against his word or his character, it's from the Lord. Keep walking. Keep walking, keep going into those battles for your only, you have to go through battles to see victory. 
So the more battles, the more victory, the more opportunity for victory, even in his old age. Listen, what is impossible for man is not impossible for God. And I really need us to believe this for our own personal lives, for the church, for the ministry to move forward. What is impossible with man is not impossible with God. But I'm reading this story and I see another lesson. Okay. And the lesson is this, just because God promised it does not mean you're ready for it now. And, and so we asked the question, then why would God even tell me, right? If I got to wait for it, then why would God let me know now to give you hope for the future? Because if you knew all the battles you would face and all the trials that you were about to step into, a lot of us would be like, nope, no, thank you. I don't want it anymore. So God instead will tell you the promise. He'll give you a hope for the future to keep going. But listen, also when there's time of waiting in your life, I see it over and over again in scripture. There also comes a test of temptation. Through a time of waiting, through a season of waiting, there will also come a test of temptation. In this case, the temptation was this, rush the process. God is taking too long. Have you ever said something like that? You ever said that out loud? Like, God, you're taking too long on the relationship. I've been single for a long time. God, you're taking too long. I've been dating. I'm ready for marriage. And they're just not asking the question, like, what's going on? Or God, you're taking too long on this position. You're taking too long on the vision that you've given me for the future. You're taking too long on healing. Because I'm still sick. And I feel like you told me things would be better, but I'm still going through some pain. It's hard when God spoke it, but you don't see it. And so I'm looking at the story and Sarah, this is Abram's wife. I believe that she believed the word of God at first, but then she was tired of waiting and she wanted a child now. She did not have a child. And I believe Abram wanted a child now and he was doing the best he could to reason with the Lord and understand. But sometimes it's just difficult to understand why you're in a waiting period or season. And so now we fast forward a little bit to Genesis chapter 16. And Abram and Sarai decided to rush it, to take control. And what's funny about taking control and not listening to God is that it's, that seems to be the time where we come up with the dumbest ideas. If we can just be honest with each other, when we don't listen to the Lord and we're like, God, I'm going to force this to happen and make this happen for my life. We come up with the dumbest ideas. Why? Because we're desperate. And when we're desperate over things that we want, we no longer see everything coming up against us. We no longer hear from the Lord. We just see our own agenda or our own wants in the moment. And so here's what happened in this story. Sarai suggested to Abram that he marry and sleep with his concubine. Her name was Hagar. But listen, she was also an unbelieving Egyptian woman. She did not serve Yahweh. Her background being an Egyptian, she worshiped the, the gods of Egypt. She had idols that she worshiped. Yet in this time of desperation, this was the best plan they can come up with. Even though God spoke this over us, now we've been traveling for a long time. Might as well just go ahead and take it in your own hands, force it to happen. Maybe that's what God is saying. Mm. They came up with a terrible idea due to desperation. We reread this and we're like, man, how could they? Like God promised it. You know what I mean? Like it's easy to judge other people <laughs> and their experiences. But when you go through it, Look at the timeline. Why was she so desperate? Because it had been 10 years since the promise was first spoken. The first time God spoke to Abram that they would have a child, 
Um, he was 75 years old. At this point, he is now 85. It had been 10 years waiting on God. Can you imagine? Maybe that is you right now. In certain situations in your own life, you're dealing with this struggle because you're saying, God, it's been 10 years. Like, I feel like nothing's gonna happen for me anymore. I don't know how to keep believing if I don't see it. Genesis 16, verse three. So Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. Are you struggling with the promises of God right now because you're in a waiting season? Maybe it's been a year. Maybe it's been five years. Maybe it's been 10 years. Maybe it's been 20. And so what happens in the waiting process, especially with the test of temptation, there are a few things that go through our mind. We give up on relationships. It'll never be for me. God doesn't want that for me. It's never gonna happen. We give up on our dreams and we give up on our visions, even though it was confirmed by the Lord spoken to us by God over what's going to happen. And here's what the devil does. And I need you to understand this. When you're in that time of waiting and it's been a long time, the devil sneaks in. He whispers in your ear, why don't you just stop praying? That's what he says. Why are you still praying? Why are you still praying for something that you're not gonna see? It's been 10 years. If God cared about you, then he would give you what you want right now. Go ahead and take it into your own hands. Control your own destiny. It's the same thing. Satan spoke to the fallen angels. It's the same war that was in heaven. Satan wanted to to be worshiped. (laughs) He said, take it in control. Do our own thing. Do it our own way. And we see that disaster today because we live in a fallen world full of destruction and hurt and pain. That's what happens when you take control and do it your own way. So my message to you on this is to encourage you and say, don't give up. Please don't give up. Just because it hasn't happened now doesn't mean it will not happen later. If God has spoken it over your life, it will come, okay? But there's another warning from this story, okay? Abram, listen, married someone God did not intend for him to be with. Abram married someone God did not intend for him to be with, and the red flags were there. Okay, we can't just say that he was naive and that he just jumped into this. The red flags were waving. She was an unbeliever. They were unequally yoked. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, do not team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? Now, that's a very strong word. But what this means is that somebody is living in sin and they don't believe in Jesus. They don't run to Jesus. So they keep living in darkness and living in sin. They don't want to repent. And so there's wickedness in their life and they will lead you into a lifestyle of wickedness because you are with them. The light cannot be mixed in with the darkness. You understand that? And so that's what this Bible verse is saying. How can the light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer partner with an unbeliever? And so many people are just led by emotions, but I got the butterflies, you know? I feel good in the moment and, and, and I'm just excited to be with them. Maybe I can convert them. Listen, and I've, I've seen God do miraculous things. Yes, there are testimonies where God has brought somebody in a relationship to him. But God has not called you to pursue a relationship to convert somebody over to Jesus. 
Because what happens is, and I've seen this over and over again, you convert them to Jesus, but they actually only came to Jesus to please you. And so when they get tired of the situation or they get tired of you, then they just walk away from it all. Because they never came to Jesus for the right reasons in the first place. They came because they wanted a relationship. They got that relationship and now they're done. And then walk away. Listen, God wants to protect your heart. He wants to protect your heart, but he must come first. And so you have to see the red flags. And I get it that our emotions will blind us. But the Holy Spirit shows up and says, listen, pray for them. But there's going to be a lot of problems if you force this relationship right now. And so I'm looking at this, right? Here's another temptation. Because of their flesh and the temptation that deceived them, they thought another relationship outside of the marriage could bring something better. It's exactly what the devil will say. If you just had that relationship, you'd be happy. If you were just with this person, then you would be happier, right? It's a lie. It's not from God. That is from the enemy to tear apart the covenant marriage that you were in. I need you to understand, forced relationships cause a lot of problems. You shouldn't ever have to force the relationship to work, to control it. Um, Here's what happened to Hagar. She became pregnant uh, with a boy named Ishmael. In Genesis chapter 16, verse four and five though, because of the forced relationship, all of a sudden there started to be problems in the family, the family dynamic. Genesis 16, four and five. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. I'm sure Abram was like, well, here we go. You know what I mean? Like, all right, go ahead and tell me how it's my fault. You know, she said, I put my servant into your arms and now she's pregnant. And she treats me with contempt. This feud got so bad in the family that her being pregnant actually decided it was better for her to run away into the wilderness where she could die. And think about that. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you're in a family dynamic right now where you have nothing, but you're ready to run away. You're willing to run away from it all. She was willing to run away and she did until an angel of the Lord showed up to her. And many theologians believe it could be Jesus Christ that showed up to her and spoke this over her and spoke this prophetic word. Okay, here's where it gets deep over Ishmael. Genesis 16, verse 11 and 12. The angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be, listen, a wild man. An untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone and every or everyone and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all of his relatives. Mm. The angel of the Lord spoke this, but here's also another picture of grace because God is speaking this prophecy over Ishmael. None of it's good because God foreknew his, his behaviors and his character. God foreknew what he was going to do and what he was going to accomplish, but God still cares for all people. And it's amazing to me that even in our rebellion, God still shows up to say, I love you and I'll redeem you and I'll restore you. And so the angel of the Lord tells them to go back, okay? But later, God's promise is fulfilled. God's promises will always be fulfilled. 
Please listen to that. Sarah became pregnant with Isaac. She gave birth to Isaac. And now Abraham was at the young age of 100. 100 years old. Genesis chapter 21, verse 5. Abram, Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. I, okay, let's, let's, look at, look at, let's look at this together. All right. Abraham was 75 years old when he received the promise. He was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. He was 100 years old when Isaac was born, which means he waited 25 years for the promise to be complete. 25 years. But God knew the timing. God knew that this was the perfect moment to do this. The blessing was still there. It was never away from you, Abraham. But still they controlled things, they pushed things, and now there's conflict. There's a major family conflict. Two wives, one promise, seed against seed. That's the revelation I got from the Lord. Seed against seed. Who gets the land? Who receives the blessed inheritance? What God would be worshiped in the end? Because Ishmael's descendants would not serve Yahweh. They would serve Allah. And we're going to dive deeper into that as well. Okay. But let me make this clear. The covenant promise was always for Isaac. Always. Genesis chapter 17, verse 19. You will name him Isaac and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants. It will be an everlasting covenant. But because of this conflict, there will always be division. There will always be hate for one another. There will always be a battle and a war until Jesus shows up again. Until Jesus shows up and then they see him as the one true Messiah. Only Jesus can bring the world the peace that we need today. No person, no man, no human being can do that. Only Jesus Christ, the son of God. But here's where the story gets interesting or even more interesting. Ishmael started to torment Isaac. Genesis chapter 21, verse nine, but Sarah saw Ishmael the son of Abraham and her Egyptian servant, Hagar, making fun of her son, Isaac. We know that it was so extreme that Sarah cast them out and told them to leave. Here's something a lot of us don't think about. Ishmael was either 16 to 17 years old. Isaac was either two or three years old. Isaac was only two or three. Ishmael was 16 or 17, mocking him, tormenting the child. So Sarah said, mama bear came out and she cast her out. Said, you're not going to torment my child and the promise the father has spoken over us. This leads to my second point, prophecy now. Let's talk about prophetic times today, okay? Um, what we're seeing today, we're seeing the seed of Ishmael, the Palestinians, and we're seeing the seed of Isaac as well, Israel, the Jews, and again, they're against each other over the battle over who gets the land, who gets the inheritance, and what God to serve. I, I do want you to understand before I dive into the word, please know this about authentic church. God, we believe God loves all people, okay? Salvation is a free gift to all human beings, meaning all human beings can run to Jesus today, no matter what you grew up in, where you come from, what mistakes that you have made. Today, you can give your life over to Christ and be saved and have eternal salvation through Jesus because that was the gift that was given to us, okay? And right now in this moment, Authentic Church is praying for every innocent victim 
that is caught in this war. We understand that there are families that want no part of this. They're running, they're hiding, they're trying to find their children. They're missing loved ones because now they're dead. We get it. And we're praying over them and we're praying for everyone. We're praying also because uh, we have, I have Christian friends out there right now in Tel Aviv, out in Israel, sending word of what's happening and what, what they're seeing. And, and I realize right now, we, we just need to pray most importantly that people start to see Jesus. Because it's a war and the Jews do not see Jesus as their Messiah. And then there's Palestinians that are serving Allah instead of Yahweh, instead of Jesus Christ. And so both of them right now need to see Jesus. And again, only Jesus can bring the peace that the world is looking for. But the Bible is very clear. And this is why we say we stand with Israel because the land of Israel, again, has been promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Again, Matthew twenty-two thirty-two also says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. But the land ultimately belongs to Yahweh. The land ultimately belongs to Jesus Christ. I want you to hear this. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse five, the Lord God says, I swear, I will let my strong feelings speak for me. I will let Edom and the other nations feel my anger. They took my land. This is Yahweh speaking. Yahweh speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. He's saying that they're coming against my land, my property. And they're coming against my land for themselves. They really had a good time when they showed how much they hated this land. They took the land for themselves just so they could destroy it. God is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. This is my land rebuking the nations around Israel that want the land for themselves. Because we're starting to see the birth pains. And I'm going to read more out of the book of Ezekiel and a few prophetic books that some of the things that we're seeing today are very eerie as far as being so close to the word of God about the end times. But here's something I need you to understand as well. The Jewish people are the only people on earth who have been given certain real estate by God. Wow. They're the only people group on earth that have been given a certain real estate by God. Again, the Old Testament prophets would speak prophecy over the entire nation of Israel. This is why as believers, as Christians, we should always watch and see what's happening because it points to the end times. It points to Jesus' return, but it also means this, God will protect his land. Yahweh shows up, Jesus Christ will show up and protect his land. When others try to take it, God will do supernatural things. And some of us are already hearing the testimonies that are taking place in the war right now. But I want you to hear this. Listen to what Ezekiel said about the coming wars. This is leading up to the war of Armageddon. Again, this could be the, the birth pains that we're starting to see. Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 24 through 25. Son of man, those back in Palestine who inhabit these ruins in the land of Israel are saying, Abraham was only one man and he took possession of the land, but we are many. I just had to stop right there because that's a demonic verse. In the book of Luke, Jesus encountered a demon-possessed man who also said, we are many, we are legion. And Jesus cast out those demons. And so I believe that this is a revelation that this is very demonic, what we're seeing. For they say that we are many. The land has most certainly been given to us to possess as property. Verse 26, now God is speaking through Ezekiel. and says, you rely on your sword as your security. 
You commit outrageous, listen to the wording here, outrageous and disgraceful acts. And each of you defiles his neighbor's wife. Sounds very close to what we saw happening with Hamas coming into the nation of Israel. Should you then take possession of the land? The name Palestine actually originates from the Romans when they tried to destroy the ancient nation of Israel. In order to erase the memory of Israel, the Romans renamed the land of Israel after their ancient enemies, the Philistines. And that's where um, we see Goliath. Goliath comes from the Philistines. We see all the battles throughout the Old Testament always dealt with the Philistines. So the name Palestine actually means the land of the Philistines. So when people declare that this is Palestinian land, they're saying this is the land of the Philistines. Not the land of the Israelites, not the land of the Jews, not the land that belongs to God. Okay, and again, they, they serve the God of Islam today because 600 years after Jesus, a man named Muhammad, um, the founder of Islam, met a demon. And he believed that he met an angel of light, but he actually met a demon that told him that the Hebrew scriptures were wrong. Never, ever believe one person who says that they met an angel, received revelation that nobody else knows, and the Bible needs to be different, and they add books. The Bible is already complete. There will be no more added books to the Bible, okay? Uh, but never believe somebody who says that they received all the re revelation themselves. The Bible is so amazing, again, because it's 1,500 years, three different continents, uh, hundreds of people, over, or yeah, thousands of people over thousands of years that have heard from the Lord. 66 books right here, right here. There's nothing else like the Bible today, all pointing to Jesus Christ. Historically accurate. You go to the land of Israel. I'm telling you, you go to the land of Israel, you start to see things. And you start to wonder how do people not believe in God? You start to see the, the, what the Bible talked about as being uncovered and being revealed. It's still there today. The battle is still there today too. The war is still there. But he believed he met an angel. It was a demon. And this is, again, why we need the, the last gift that I have not talked about yet, which is the gift of discernment to test spirits. Discernment over spirits. Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one that is preached to you. For the Bible also tells us that Satan will masquerade as an angel of light, pretending you to give you exactly what you need. He will dangle it in front of you. Don't you want this for your life? This should entice you. This will make your life better. I'm an angel. I want to bring good things for you. But if it goes against the word of God, that is no angel. That is a demon straight from hell. It's a counterfeit story of Satan. Because everything God creates, Satan counterfeits. But the next big question is this. Does the Bible speak about Hamas? And maybe you've seen this already. It has been going viral, this information. But if not, I want to tell you today, yes, the Bible does speak about Hamas, okay? Um, Hamas is an Arabic word, which means Islamic resistance movement. They see it as something to be proud of. But in Hebrew, the word Hamas means violent, evil, and wrong. In Hebrew, the word Hamas means violent, evil, and wrong. Genesis chapter six, verse 11. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence, Hamas. Notice 
in Genesis chapter 6, verse 11, the earth was filled with Hamas, so God sent a universal flood to get rid of it. And I even heard one pastor speak about it like this. He said, Hamas is actually a demon. The spirit of a demon, of violence, of murder, uh, it's demonic, it's evil, it's wickedness, full-on wickedness and rebellion against God. It has no regard for the human life. Hamas will come to torture you and do horrific things, things that you can't even imagine because there is no repentance with this demonic spirit if you live for it. But then look at this. Sarah, or Sarah, when she used, okay, Sarah, when she was casting out Ishmael from the family, she actually spoke the word Hamas. Let's look together. Genesis chapter 16, verse five. Then Sarah said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant in your arms, but now she's pregnant. She treats me with contempt. The Lord will show you who is wrong, wrong, Hamas. The Lord is going to show you who is Hamas. You are me. And when you find out who Hamas is, then you need to cast Hamas out of the family. And again, this, this pastor that I was listening to even said the, the reference here of her casting out Hamas, casting out Ishmael was the same as casting out a demon from the family, from the home. This is a spiritual fight. Again, to invade the homes of families asleep, to murder the children in front of their own parents, to send videos of victims to their own family members, beheading of babies, raping women, attacking the elderly. This is not just war, this is demonic. This is evil, this is wickedness, this is no regard for human life. Like I said, Hamas is a demonic spirit, but I'm here to tell you today that Jesus is coming back to put an end to it all. Every bit of it, Jesus is coming back to put an end to it all. Every one of those demons will run in fear of the Lord. This leads to my last point, which is this. Let's talk about future prophecy now. Future prophecy. This is something I preached years ago. So it's, it's, it's kind of funny to me how God is bringing it back to my attention, especially to what we're seeing today. But the Muslims are waiting on their final prophet to return. This is what they believe, and they call him the Mahadi. Okay, uh, most Muslims believe that he will convert the entire world to Islam. Uh, if you do not convert, you will die. You'll be beheaded. Um, some interesting facts about what they believe though. They believe the Mahdi will come according to some traditions and that he will bring peace. And listen, he will rule for seven years. The Bible talks about this as well, but this is no prophet of God. This is the Antichrist. The Antichrist will come he will bring false peace and then he will rule for seven years of tribulation. Daniel chapter nine, verse 27. And he, the Antichrist, will enter into a binding, an irrevocable covenant with the many for one week, seven years. But in the middle of the week, he will stop the sacrifice and grain offerings for the remaining of the three and one half years. The Muslims also believe that the Mahdi will unite the Muslim world. According to the Bible, we know the Antichrist will unite 10 kings under his rule. Revelation chapter 17, verse 12, the 10 horns of the beast are 10 kings who have not yet risen to power. They will be appointed to their kingdoms for one brief moment to reign with the beast. Muslims also believe that Jesus will reappear with the Mahdi, but that Jesus will say that he is a Muslim, that he will say that he is not the son of God, and that he will bring many into the religion of Islam. 
Revelation tells us that there will be many counterfeit wonders and miracles tricking people into a false religion. There will be a false prophet. There will be a false religion that causes many to stumble and worship the idol of the beast. Revelation chapter 13, verse 12, he exercised all the authority of the first beast and he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. I'm telling you, the Lord has placed it on my heart. It's time to chew on some meat. It's time to stop just drinking the milk. It's time to see revelations, talk about some hard things, but also understand that Jesus is coming back to redeem and restore. And so here's what I want you to think about. Here's tying it all together. The seed from Isaac leads to Jesus Christ. But what if the seed of Ishmael leads to the Antichrist? I don't know for sure. But as I look at the prophecy spoken from the very beginning, seed against the seed. This is what I see. But here's what I do know. This is what the Bible says about the battle of Armageddon. And again, people are talking about Ezekiel chapter 38 right now. Um, they're talking about the Gog-Magog war. Many believe that Gog is Russia. And we do know that they do have an alliance with Iran. Iran is funding um, Hezbollah, another terrorist group. They're also funding Hamas to attack Israel. Uh, we know, according to the scriptures, that everybody will be against the nation of Israel. These are the birth pains. But I also want you to hear what happens. So I've, I put this together. I've never done this before, but I've actually put different prophetic books together, almost like one story. So here's what I want to read to you today. Ezekiel 38, verse 5 through 6, just follow along. Persia, which is Iran, Cush, Ethiopia, put Libya, North Africa, and with them, all of them, with shield and helmet, Gomer and all of its troops, Beth Togarma, uh, this is possibly Turkey, from the remote parts of the north and all of its troops, many peoples with you, they will all come against the nation of Israel. Ezekiel 38, verses 10 through 12, thus says the Lord of God, or the Lord God, it will come about on that day that thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil plan and you will say, I will go up against an open country. I will go against those who are at rest and peaceful. Now this gained my attention because when Hamas attacked the nation of Israel, it was on the Shabbat day. The Sabbath day it was also the end of a celebration of the biggest feast. So they were celebrating. It was a time to be joyful and rest. Notice the wording here. They came against them on a day of rest, a day that seemed peaceful, who lived securely, all of them living without walls and having neither bars nor gates to take spoil and seize plunder, to turn your hand against the ruins which are now inhabited and against the peoples who are gathered from the nations who have acquired cattle and goods who live at the center of the world, Israel. Verse 18 and 19, it will come about on that day when Gog comes against them. The land of Israel says that Lord God, that my wrath will raise and show my face. In my zeal, in my blazing rage, I declare on that day, there will most certainly be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. Why an earthquake? Because I believe Jesus is coming back in glory. The first time Jesus came back, or the first time Jesus came, he came in humility. But the second time Jesus is coming back in glory, he will be a warrior to defend the nation of Israel. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 and 12, that I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. His rider was named faithful and true for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war, a righteous war. 
His eyes were like the flames of fire. And on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. Verse 14, the armies of heaven. Mm. Dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on a white horse. Can you imagine this sight? Jesus coming back and an angelic army behind him, ready to fight against the pain and suffering that has tormented our hearts for our entire life here on this earth. Against the sickness, disease, hurt, murder, evil, wickedness, horrific things that have taken place. They're ready for battle. Verse 16, on his robe at his thigh was written the title, King of all kings. Lord of all lords. Zechariah chapter 14, verse three and four. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. In that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives, listen, which lie before Jerusalem on the east and on the Mount of Olives, which will be split in half from the east to the west. Guess what that would cause? And that would cause an earthquake. The Bible also talks about hailstones coming down upon the enemy. Many battles that you see in the Old Testament when God said, I will protect you, I will fight for you. There are battles that we have talked about where they went against the enemy, like the book of Joshua, as Joshua was asking the sun to stand still and going against the five Amorite kings. The Bible tells us that as they battled them, hailstones came from the sky and took out more of the enemy than their own sword could. God will do miraculous things to protect his land to protect his people, to show you his love and how far he will go for you. Please don't miss that. He will go so far to bring you into salvation and repentance and change. But he will split the Mount of Olives in two. Verse six, in that day there will be no light. The glorious ones, heavenly bodies shall be darkened, but it will be a unique day which is known to the Lord not day and not night, but at evening, at evening time, there will be light. In verse nine, can I have you stand right here? I'm asking a prayer team to come up front. Please don't be distracted though. This is the best part. Verse nine, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And on that day, the Lord shall be the only one worshiped and his name, the only one to worship. Jesus Christ is coming back to restore the land of Israel. Jesus Christ is coming back to win the battle of Armageddon. Jesus Christ is coming back to bring a a revival. The Jews will see him as the Messiah, as Yeshua HaMashiach. They will run to him for the first time and see who he truly is. They will give their lives over to Christ. There is an angelic army coming with the Lord to fight the good fight. We as the church will be caught up in a rapture to be with Jesus. We will understand his peace and his glory. We will see his reign and we will be with him for all eternity. It's always pointed to Jesus. Every prophecy and you no longer will be hurt. No longer will there be sickness and pain and death that has tormented you, that has hurt you. 
where all believers will be together. For some of you, you'll be with loved ones you haven't seen in a long, long time. And you will see them in a way you've never seen them before. In the presence of God, there's also gonna be better relationships. Because here on earth, relationships can become tormented at times. Agendas and, and ideas and things can get in the way of those relationships. All those things will be gone. You will love each other better in the kingdom with God. And when we dwell with Jesus as a king, as he restores his land and his, his glory here on earth. And so my question to you today is, are you ready? I know that this was heavy. And so for a lot of us, some of us, we get scared over the topic. I get it. But you don't need to be scared when you know Jesus. And if you give your life over to Jesus, he's going to give you a peace. And yes, you're going to see the signs. You're going to see what's happening in the world. But you're also going to look up and say, God, I know that you got me. I know that we're getting close. And so it's time. It's time to get rid of, rid of the, the petty disagreements with other people. It's time to forgive those that I've held on to bitterness for a long time. It's time to say I love you to somebody you haven't said I love you to in a very long time. Anything could happen. I'm not saying it's the end of the world today, but anything could still happen in our lives. Somebody you love today could be gone tomorrow. I want you to know the love of God. I want you to know his promises. All you have to do is step into it. All you have to do is receive and say, God, my heart is ready. But you got to let go of some things. Are you willing to let go and give it over to the Lord? I want to encourage you to do three things. The first thing I'd like to encourage you to do, and you can do this at your seat or you can do this at the altar, is I want you to pray to the Lord and ask him, God, what do I need to release in my heart, in my life right now? Is there bitterness, is there hate towards somebody that I need to give over to you because it's hindering me from moving forward? And today I wanna to be healed. I wanna encourage you to do that today. The second thing I wanna encourage you to do is, is this, I want you to pray for the peace in Jerusalem. Pray for peace and safety over so many lives that are just living in fear right now and don't know where to go, don't know what to do. They're losing loved ones. Pray for them. And then the third thing is this. If you do not know the Lord Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with him, you can today at this moment and no longer fear the things that are happening in this world. But all three of them, it's up to you. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you've been blessed by this message, be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss future messages. And if you feel led to give to this ministry, check out the link in the description and see the other ways you can get connected.